0: You are Locked On Browns, your daily Cleveland Browns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I hopped up the plane at LAX with a dream, my cardigan, welcome to the land of frame access. And welcome confident? into this Locked On Browns podcast. My name is Jared Mueller. I am your host this evening and as often as possible, every Monday through Friday, except when the flu eh, flu bug or whatever is hitting all of us continues to hit. So my apologies tonight if we don't come off exactly as clear uh, thinking as we would want to be. You got to sometimes take a little medication to get through. And so that's where we're at tonight. So thank you for stopping in. The Cleveland Browns season is over, but as it has been for years now, the real season, the real interesting season, kind of starts. And so uh, today we'll talk a little bit about where the Browns are at one specific area on the team. Uh, we're going to talk, and then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the press conference that has really kind of drawn a lot of attention. Uh, and actually, we'll start there with kind of two pieces. Um, so many of you know that I am a mental health professional, and so I've been. Uh, counseling since uh, early in 2002 in a variety of different ways. I am now a licensed clinical social worker, and shortly I will be an independently licensed social worker uh, with the state of Ohio with my master's degree from the Ohio State University. And so when I talk about things, I talk about uh, some of those kind of things. It's, It's coming out of that kind of perspective. It's coming with that kind of information. So know that I'm not just trying to be some just kind of reading body language or those kind of things. It actually is what I do, and uh, I'm pretty good at it. I am the clinical supervisor uh, for a medication-assisted treatment program uh, looking to fight the opiate addiction issue that we have. Uh, Prior to that, I was the program director for an 82-bed halfway house with the state of Ohio, and so I do it, and I do it pretty well, and so a couple things from that press conference. If you didn't see it, the Browns, uh, basically uh, their whole kind of structure uh, talked. And so that was Paul D. Podesta in his role, Sashi Brown in his role, and then Hugh Jackson in his role. And so we get to hear from those guys basically twice a year, at the beginning and at the end. Uh, and so it's an important kind of press conference. Jimmy Haslam had his after the Steelers game. Really wasn't a press conference, but he was meeting with the media. And so uh, if you haven't seen it, Uh, really this is an important time to talk about where the season is and where the seasons go or the team is going um and so uh, there's a lot of questions that could be really really well uh, done in that kind of setting unfortunately much of it turned into an argument setting between the media and um them not liking what the Browns had said and so as a member of the media obviously um a lot of I had some things to say a lot of people had some Uh, comments about it so i just want to address it there's two pieces to it that i want to really address the first one is i really think that press conference would have went much better if it was kind of split into two different set parts of a press conference so all right we're going to talk about this now we're going to talk about that and so what i mean by that is had the browns talked about the season that was had first How did we, what happened, what could have gone better, what could have gone worse, what we wish we would have done differently, all of that, and then talked about their plan, the future, what they're going to do. I think things would have gone a little smoother, but it seemed like every time the media wanted to talk about the season, the Browns started talking about the future, and every time the media wanted to talk about the future, the Browns sort of talked about the season, And so I feel like there was just, there was something missing there. There was uh, either a misunderstanding, a desire not to really fulfill each other's needs or wants. uh, And so maybe the Browns uh, brass was sick of the media. There's some reasons for that. And I've heard some of those things kind of behind the scenes, some of those whispers. And maybe the media was really frustrated with this Browns organization because um, from what we know, there's really no one uh, in the media who has a good grip. I would say Lane Atkins has uh, some. Uh, one of the guys with me at the Orange and Brown Report, but even him, uh, this isn't an organization that's really giving out a lot of information. There's not a lot of leaks, not a lot of sources, and 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 again, the media has got has gone through this forever, right? They this media, many of them have been dealing with losing Brown seasons for a long time, and so it just seems like they didn't want to meet each other's needs. But if the press conference had been broken into. What happened during the season, and then what are we looking forward to? I think things might have gone a little smoother. The second piece, and maybe the most important important piece, is that uh, confirmation bias really plays a huge role here. And what I mean by that is, confirmation bias uh, is really how we set up things. And so, uh, me as an optimist, and just generally looking to enjoy things and fun and positivity and all that kind of stuff, I tend to look for the good. It's just something, not that I have to or any of those kind of things, but I tend to look for the positives. And so um, that's just a goal of mine. It's something I enjoy uh, doing. And so because of that, I'm going to be more likely to find something positive. Now, take that and look at our media. Our media, many of them, two of the major ones, really three, Dale Reuter, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, Tony Grossi, Mary Kay Cabot, the three that are kind of the biggest and kind of also get attacked the most, um, they are, they've are they been doing this for a long time. Uh, they've been dealing with a losing team. And so when you think of confirmation bias, their natural inclination is to find the negatives, find the bad. Obviously, in a 1-15 season, that's not difficult to do. But it's something that they're they're It's a natural inclination when you're so used to it and it's not hard to do. It's really kind of normal to start to look for those negatives. And so I think confirmation bias played a huge role in a lot of what we saw during that time. You saw an organization that put a plan in place. And to be honest, I don't think one of 15 was out of the ordinary based on their plan and kind of where everything went. And so for them, Great, the season didn't go well, but look how many draft picks we have. Look how many young players you have. Paul D. Podesta talked about how um, 25% of their snaps were taken by rookies, which was an all-time record for the last four years or something like that. And so when you have an organization, their confirmation bias is, yeah, this was a bad season. We have to do better. But look at all these positives. And you have a media who's used to, when things go bad, guess what happens? That regime is out of there. They're used to a media... Our organization that normally when things are going wrong, excuses are flying, leaks are happening, strain between uh, different parts of the organization are going on. And even at the press conferences, excuses are being thrown and blame and shade is kind of being thrown. You don't really have that. And so I think there's some confirmation bias that is just going to be natural. I honestly, I think for someone like Tony Grossi, Mary Kay Cabot, and maybe even Daryl the Browns winning will be a confusing process for them. Not that they don't want it, but I don't know if they know how to write those stories. I don't know if they know how to look for those things. I don't know if they understand uh, that from a mental capacity, not because they're not smart enough, but because they're not used to it. The same way I think there are some Patriots um, writers who maybe have been following the team for the last ten to fifteen years, or uh, covering the team for the last ten to fifteen years, and and maybe not before that. And for them, it's hard to find the negatives. It's hard to find the problems. Because confirmation bias for them is, Belichick's got this figured out. Tom Brady's got this figured out. Uh, Robert Kraft has this figured out. right? And so, again, this isn't me attacking Tony or Mary or Daryl or whoever else is there. Um, obviously, Mary Kay has blocked me uh, because of some of the things that I, what I said on this podcast. Uh, I believe what she said, uh, her idea, was she also asked that question again, seemingly trying to push something that she thinks should happen the same way Tony pushed what he thought should happen. That's why they, the front office, uh, Sashi kind of joked about Tony's quarterback, is they were pushing something that they think. And what everyone else saw was people like Tony, Mary, and whoever else who thought they were smarter than the front office, who... That's what it came off as. They wanted the front office to admit they were right. And the front office was wrong. They wanted the front office to apologize for a season. The problem is this season is necessary. No no one likes when I say this. This season was necessary for winning to happen down the road. Patchwork, free agents, Paul Kruger's, uh Whitner, Dansby... Those guys, this year, wouldn't have solved things. I'll talk later in the week, uh, or next week, so since without games it kind of will run together a little bit. I'll talk later about the decisions that they did make, um, specifically the players that they got rid of or allowed to walk. I don't think this Browns organization has any reason to apologize. They have a plan, and they put it in place. For the media confirmation bias gets in the way, and I think this, this press conference was set up to create some type of conflict not on any but not on purpose, but it just happened that way. And so that's kind of my end. I'm not going to really talk about that, uh, the press conference or really even the media, uh, as much anymore. My goal is to focus on engaging as best I can uh, with those in the media, trying to find the positives, trying to find a way to have a conversation. I've already done that with Daryl. I've done that with Tony, uh, and that's going to really be my goal going forward, uh, to try to create some productivity. Daddy, where do babies come from? Uh, well, uh, honey? Mommy went to the store. Oh, well, you see, um, well, there's a mommy and a daddy, right? Right. And see, when they call Geico, uh they could save a bunch of money on car insurance. Oh, really? And that makes them happy? Yes, that makes them very happy. That's good. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we could have this talk, sunshine. (laughs) GEICO, because saving 15% or more on car insurance is always a great answer. And to finish up tonight's Lockdown Browns podcast, again, my name is Jared Mueller. You can get a hold of me on Twitter, at Jared K. Mueller. That's J-A-R-E-D-K-M-U-E-L-L-E-R. But to finish up for tonight, we'll talk a little bit about, um, and hopefully a little bit of this will be teaching, uh, but where the Browns are, at least in one area of the team. And so as I've been looking at the draft, um, it's important to look where the team is. Now, to be clear, I don't believe in need-based drafting. What I mean by that is if the Browns have the, a need for a cornerback, but that's the next available cornerback, they have valued 40 picks later, 30 picks later, even 20 picks later, Need-based drafting says I draft that cornerback. Value-based draft drafting looks at position and looks at need, but looks to draft the best available players based on what those needs are. And so, I'm not a big proponent of need drafting. I think losing teams draft for needs. Uh the Ravens and the Patriots and and some of those kind of teams, they draft the best players they can that fit their system as well as kind of have room to develop. And so they're often not drafting first-round quarterbacks if they already have them. And so for the Browns, it made me start to think about where their team is. And so um, starting with the defensive line, it's important to understand what roles defensive linemen have. And so just kind of a quick teaching session. Uh, For some of you, this is old hat. For some of you, you've never heard of it. And some of you are going to think I'm talking crazy. So many people know 3-4 defense, 4-3 defense. They know nose tackle, defensive tackle, defensive end. They know outside linebacker. Um, they know strong linebacker. They know middle linebacker, weak linebacker. They know those kind of terms. Uh, specifically uh, for the defensive line, what is actually really important is what's called technique. And so what I mean by technique, it, it's about where that player lines up primarily and what they're able to do in those roles. And so, for example, Danny Shelton, our nose tackle, really plays a zero or a one technique. And so uh, what that means is, is generally speaking, zero technique is lined up head to head with the center. And so we start counting out from the center. And so a zero technique is literally head up with the center. A one technique is on either shoulder of that center. OK, and so if you kind of number it out, looking if you're visualizing the center guard and tackles, you want to kind of visualize that out. And so Danny Shelton plays the zero or one, the nose tech, uh, the nose tackle. So the zero technique or the one technique. And then you have what's called a three uh, technique, which that person is generally between the in the gap between the guard and the tackle. OK, and so the three, three technique is really right there. So while the nose guard or the nose tackle is in the zero one and their primary function is to uh, generally to eat up blockers uh, so that other people can make plays, but they're really trying to kind of um, push the middle of the pocket uh, and create havoc, often not really penetrators where well, they might sometimes, but not really a penetrator. While Shelton might do that some, that's not really the primary goal. With the three technique, uh, it's to continue to push that pocket, uh, but to try to occupy the guard and tackle as much as possible. Uh, And so you have some three techniques that are a little bit more about shooting the gap, so getting between the guard and the tackle. You have others, depending on the scheme, uh, their goal is to try to occupy the guard or the tackle, um, really take on the block versus shed the block. Again, that depends on what they're asked to do. Then you have a five technique. Um, and so again, you're just kind of working your way out. Um, so you're working your way out from center. Um, and so the five technique, um, is going to, um, really take on just the outside edge of the tackle, um, of the tackle shoulder. Uh, and so the five technique often is, is charged with kind of setting the edge. Uh, they still need to be strong. They're often very long, um, and so that they can really hold off the block, Uh, Or get around a block and then from there you're talking about seven and nine techniques and so seven is often your outside linebacker It's really your edge player Uh, in a three four you often uh, That's at least one of your defensive ends Uh, And so they're a little bit farther outside And so they would tend to be on the outside shoulder of the tight end if there was a tight end on the line And then the nine technique is where you get the idea of a wide nine, which is something um Schwartz uh, in Buffalo and before in Detroit, uh, he always had the wide nine and also was in Philadelphia at some time. And so that means you're really outside. So if you think about, uh, tackle and two tight ends, the wide nine is kind of outside of that. It's all about angles, all about getting to the quarterback. And so I say all that to say, as we talk about who the Browns really need, it's important to talk about their techniques. And so we are in base defense, um, at the start of games, but in general, we're in nickel about 60 to 65% of the time. In nickel, that means we have four generally defensive linemen, two linebackers, and five defensive backs. And so uh, in base right now, and so we're just going to focus on the defensive line, in the base three man, we have Danny Shelton. We know where he is. We have Carl Naseeb. He's a five technique. Again, he's that long, lanky kind of guy. Really needs to build on his strength, but Um, and isn't kind of strong enough to be that three technique uh, needed to kind of play inside. Can do it a little bit, but really isn't strong enough. And then you have really the big question, which is Emmanuel Ogba. Ogba played primarily a lot of five technique this year. So he was responsible for setting that edge. Um, He was able to rush the passer. But with that length and with that size, he played really, really well as a five technique defensive end in the three-four. But the Browns, or at least some of the fans, think about him as an outside linebacker. And so that really will be really decisive about what the Browns actually need when we go into the draft. Because if we're looking at a base defense, it's Agba, it's Danny Shelton, you've got Xavier Cooper, who I think could be a very good three technique, and you have Jamie Meter who's playing kind of out of position as a three technique, more of a nose tackle one, and zero technique. And so that means the Browns need at least the idea of a three technique. They definitely need at least one edge player, but but if Agua is going to be down on the, on the ground as a five technique, that means the Browns need two, seven, or nine techniques. So whenever you hear me talk about edge, I'm talking about seven and nine. And so that means a bigger need then Jonathan Allen might be Miles Garrett. Even if Allen falls, it'll be interesting to see whether the Browns are really looking for that 3 5 technique or Solomon Thomas, who's also kind of that 3 5 technique. It'll be interesting to see if that's what the Browns are looking for based on what they have currently on their team. And where does Carl Nasib fit in if Emmanuel Agba is really that starting? Uh, five technique even when they go to nickel is he still that starting five technique with a miles garrett out on the seven on the other side danny shelton and somebody else on the inside at the zero one or the zero and one or the three technique so just a little kind of thing to think about as we look at where the browns are and where they're going and what their needs are thanks for stopping by again this lockdown browns podcast i hope again this you find some of this educational uh it gets you to think You'll never rarely hear me talk about things as if uh, I have all the answers. There really is no gospel, according to Jared. But hopefully there is some learning opportunities for for everyone, including myself. So I love engaging with you on Twitter. So again, get a hold of me on Twitter at Jared K. Mueller. That's J-A-R-E-D-K-M-U-E-L-L-E-R. Thanks for stopping by and go Browns.